is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Meaning of Podcast. I am Ace. This is RV3. And this is the podcast where we talk about the deeper meaning of f- your favorite film directors. Yeah. And this episode is going to be a great episode because we're going to be talking about a director who has done both TV and movies. Yeah. And he's done very popular TV shows, at least one that's extremely popular, and that is Carrie Joji Fukunaga. Ooh, he is, I him. know, he's got that three names, bro. He's <laughs> he got that JGL. Hey, man, that's a. Uh, I, I kind of I was telling you beforehand I kind of like that he uses Joji I don't know why I just think it's cool yeah um, most people just call him Kerry Fukunaga um, I I feel like when people think of Kerry Fukunaga obviously his claim to fame is True Detective but I almost feel like almost equally his claim to fame is the dismantling of that It movie I don't know if you agree with that and I'm sure we're gonna get into that a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but for me personally, that's what when people say his name, when you hear his name in discussions, whether it be a movie podcast or whether it be uh, people talking about his movies, they're like, oh, isn't that the guy who like was writing it or something? Because I feel like that whole situation was it, it got pretty big attention. Like yeah. a lot of people found out about it. It wasn't necessarily like a quiet situation, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was he was more vocal about it. But I mean, I've always. I mean, you know, uh, before the before the whole it controversy, of course, everybody knew him as the true detective guy. Mm. Um, but I mean, he also had a very strong like indie presence too. With, uh, with that's right, the, with uh, his adaptation of Jane Eyre, I remember like people buzzing about that a little bit, uh, particularly the performances. And then even on when he did Beast of No Nation, kind of mm. kind of blew down a lot of doors too. That's so. true. Yeah, I feel like Beast of No Nation, but Beast of No Nation was after True Detective though. So I still yeah. feel like True Detective is his claim to fame yeah. still today, um, which is crazy, but it's true. True Detective became that show that everyone talked about. Yeah, and the season two, not so much. <laughs> I, as soon as he left. <laughs> I was going to say, I like season two. Oh, you like season? I was oh, one of the man. few people who liked it. I was like, this was kind of cool. I liked it. I, can, I didn't think it was great. I didn't yeah. think it was amazing but i was like oh, i wasn't wasn't bad it was pretty good kind of like the halloween movie that came out over the weekend rb3 it was okay <laughs> it was, okay, <laughs> was fine oh you throwing shots from the top hey man that's hey, what happens i like bro. halloween man halloween was lit. i thought it was fine it was, it was fine yeah it was because I, I don't know man maybe the hype kind of killed me because yeah. the hype was like yo this is like the greatest horror masterpiece and i was like nah, not really it's not, nah. it's not i don't think it's a great horror movie i just think it's fine yeah it's just fine I mean, it's a good it's a really good horror movie though it's the best. I think it's. Per, I think it's probably the best, second best Halloween. Movie but is that there. really a high bar? I don't know. I've only seen two of them. I so. was gonna say. <laughs> is that them. even really a high? I, I. I'm one of the guys too who like. Obviously, we talked about John Carpenter two weeks ago, but I even think the first ones. You know, it, it created a lot of things, and I think that's you know you got to give credit for that. But I don't think it's like the greatest horror movie of all time. Like, nah, it's a, it's good. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, it holds up. But to, to me, to me, it felt like this Halloween movie is to uh, this Halloween movie is the Force Awakens to the first Halloween Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's that's a, a good that's a good. It, point. It's just that's essentially a, good call. a remake, but like repackaged and like and a still pretty way. good and still pretty good. That's like, true. Serviceable. Fans, yeah. you know, new fans will get behind it. Cause I guess new, I introducing I, new characters, new actresses. Because yeah. the new the girl, I kind I kind of liked her. She didn't do much, but I liked her. Yeah, uh, Andy uh, Matichek. You could have take, taken her out the movie and still would have been the same movie. Though. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I kind of liked her. I feel like she had a little bit of charm to her. I was yeah. like, oh, this girl's very charming. Yeah. Um, Are they setting up a whole Halloween franchise? Like? I was gonna say, bro. Is, is she gonna? Everyone's like, Michael Myers is back, and I'm like, is he just gonna like walk out of them flames and be like, I'm a demon, bitch, <laughs> oh, or something like that? Spoiler alert, man. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fine. Either way, 
It's it made seventy six million dollars. Hey, Everyone saw it. <laughs> this is. A... But my thing is like, I I hope they don't do like random people take up the mask or something like that because that would be kind of lame. But yeah, we'll see yeah. what they do. Either way, I thought it was a dope movie. Eight I thought it was 10. okay. Eight out of ten. I thought it was fine. Nothing special. You know what, man? This is this is so this is so interesting to me because I think I've hated every movie that's come out this year <laughs> up until October. Every movie we've disagreed with, Pre- pretty much, yeah. And then yeah. like, but then like when I finally when I like like First Man, when I like again, I, th- I, I agree with you at first. I like First Man. <laughs> like it's just it's just it's just interesting because I personally I just think I'm grateful that. I like movies are like above a four out of ten because I think that's what every movie sure. pretty much this year has been like up until like a couple. You haven't ago. hated any movie, is what you're saying? Um, or are no. you saying that I hate all the movies you like? No, I'm just saying like I feel like the Oscar movies are just like barely like bringing tolerable filmmaking like back <laughs> into 2018. You know, that's very true. <laughs> I, I I genuinely agree with you. I I was thinking about First Man um, the other day, and I was thinking about like their Oscar run. To be honest, man. To be completely honest, and I know I'm stepping on people's toes, but Black Panther over First Man. Sorry, oh, yeah, I think so. Black yeah. Panther over First Man. I think for I but think Black I, Panther like has so shot. far, there's no Oscar type movie that I'm like that deserves it. This mm-hmm. deserves the, the the nomination for mm-hmm. Best Picture or Best Actor or whatever. I I put I'll put Black Panther over First Man. I think I mean, it deserves a nomination more than First Man. I think it accomplished more more things in the movie. Than First Man did in in their movie. Yeah, I mean, I still uh, there's I, great moments in First yeah. Man, but as an overall film, Black Panther. Yeah, and not, that's probably controversial, or whatever. But I still feel like it deserves a nomination over that movie. Well, I think you know, and I think even I think Black Panther, I think definitely got a nomination at this point. But I think the well, I think the bigger question is if it'll actually win, because I think mm, uh, I, that's not happening. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's too big of a of a of a of a, of a that's true. I mean, what other big movie? Vice there's, there's looks no, like it's going to be big. There's, this is the first movie since Avatar and The Force Awakens. Makes seven hundred million domestically, ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and and it promotes the cultural diversity wave that the Academy is going for. That's true. And when you look at all the uh, websites, Go Derby, IndieWire, shit, all of them have Black Panther at the top. Yeah. As of right now, I you think know? nomination for sure. I, I win is going to be tough. What do you think is the competition for it? Uh, I think Black Klansman. Uh, is gonna also be nominated, dude. That thing uh, disappeared. Yeah. I think Black Hundred Percent is one of the best movies of the year. Yeah, yeah. Black That's Clansman in my top two it. of the year this year. Yeah, yeah. Black I, definitely, I definitely think Black Klansman is also in. Um, what Stars else? Born's in. I mean, <laughs> I, I, that's another I like one. Like, Star, like is Star is Born. It was. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. But it's not like it's gonna win. This yeah. is amazing. Like, eh, it was good. Now, what I can't wait for is uh, if Bell Street sings uh, the new uh, the new one from. Um, from the homie you did Moonlight, uh, Barry Jenkins, uh, mm. is based on the um, is based on a book by um, the the African American writer. Oh, uh, that's right. I heard about this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I can't remember. I that. haven't seen anything from it though. Yeah, I heard. Well, I heard it screened at TIFF and got like amazing oh, critical reception. Cool. So I think that one's gonna. Do I good. think Vice is probably Vice is gonna be good. With Adam and, McKay. Yeah, Adam McKay there yeah. with writing and maybe directing and maybe even acting with uh, Christian Bale. Yeah, um, I mean, people really love *A Star Is Born*. I think that was yeah, but be like <laughs> it best was director. good. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I just don't see like best. I I wouldn't give Bradley Cooper best actor. I wouldn't give Lady Gaga best actress too. I mean, I, I can accept the nomination, but not a win. To me, it's like eh, it was good. Bohemian but Rhapsody. Special. Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody probably will get a best actor. A best actor at least. Yeah. yeah, I'm starting in that movie. I'm wearing a. 
<laughs> I'm wearing a mustache <laughs> in that Robbie movie. Malik is back. <laughs> Yo, Bro, you Malik. know what's funny? I was at the ArcLight, and this will be our last thing, I promise, guys, and we'll get into <laughs> Kerry Fukunaga. Yeah. Um, I was at the uh, ArcLight watching, uh, what did I just see? Halloween. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny because... Uh, I saw the outfit stuff that they do, and they had the Rami Malik, uh, Freddie sure. Mercury wife beater and jeans. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they had like some. Fantastic and usually clothes. they have like Ant Man yeah. suit, yeah. Thor suit, yeah. and it's like here's Rami Malik's little you know <laughs> wife beater and blue jeans that <laughs> Freddie Mercury wore in that famous concert, right? Yeah. And one guy came up to it, and he turns to an ArcLight employee, like he like desperate to know information, and he turns to him and he says. Oh my, is that his real size? <laughs> is he really that small? <laughs> and the, the Arkland plays like, I don't, I don't know, but yeah, I hear he's like a really short guy and I'm walking by and I really want to turn to the guy so bad and be like, he's my size. What are you trying to say, man? <laughs> What's wrong with tiny dudes, man? You got a problem against little dudes? Hey, man. Uh, but yeah, that was just a funny moment you're that like, I thought. You're, you're, you're like taller than me, man. So yeah. That's not making me feel bad. Is. I don't know, man. I, I, <laughs> I've always had a thing where I'm like, I want to be like a good like 5'11". It's like, nope, I'm not going to be 5'11". Yeah. Ever. <laughs> yeah, but uh, before we get into Kerry Fukunaga, guys, let's get into your comment section from last week where we talked about Damien Chazelle and First Man. Uh, a few of you guys commented. Usually it's the people that we love. It's the people that always comment. And we appreciate you guys and we love you guys, starting with Movie Man Naked Jesus. Um, who says audience score is low because of the because uh, trolls caused the flag controversy? We mentioned that I I said I don't think that's why, but I don't know. What do you think? Um, do you think I, that played an effect on it? I still think that plays a big effect. And I think I think when especially when it comes into politics, like people just get like super trigger happy with, with shit. So I, I definitely think like that's a big. I think I think without that controversy. Like, it wouldn't be the highest audience score. I still say it would probably be, like, 76, 77 or something like that. Mm. But 61, I mean, that just tells me that. I mean, that's the same shit that, like, happened to The Last Jedi. Like, hey, they got a bunch. And, again, like, I don't really think The Last Jedi is a good movie. I don't think it deserves a high audience score or as high as of a critic score. But um, I, that, that score is overwhelmingly because there's a bunch of, like, racist jerks who are, like, going in there. So... Yeah, it's always odd I, to see Rotten Tomato scores because I, I just saw the Bohemian Rhapsody one, which is like fifty percent or something like that. Really? Um, oh, yeah. or the Freddie Mercury for the has it has it even come out yet? Like, <laughs> it hasn't. No, it's the first. It's the first thirty critics, I think, is what it is. When oh. they do the first thirty, and then they have the, the Rotten Tomato score for the first thirty oh, critics. Fifty percent. Fifty percent. Damn, that's what hearing, I saw. It yeah. might be less. It might be more now. I've been hearing people like raving about it around here, right? <laughs> Everywhere I checked on Twitter, they were talking it like it was amazing. Yeah, it was like the best movie ever made. But like. it's fifty percent, and that's why it's kind of funny, Rotten Tomatoes, because you never know what goes into people's decisions. I, I don't want to get into like how critics can be biased, but there's a Brian Singer, Brian Singer angle yeah, I, that I was could be say, like, yeah. the Brian Singer stuff could be you know critics kind of turned off to it. I don't know what else it could be that made people really think this movie's mediocre and not yeah. great. Well, I know I know I know it had a lot of controversy about like not portraying Freddie Mercury's sexuality. Fully. It's all over the freaking trailers. How, but I don't I mean, get that. Well, like he's he's gay, right? Or he's bisexual. I think he's bi, yeah. Yeah, so then but they only show him like in, in acting interacting with women. Like, 
throughout the trailers. No, they don't. There's a scene where he like literally touches a guy's face, like caressing ah, a dude's touching face. Touching a guy's face. Yeah. But, it's a trailer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like uh, we don't know what happens in the movie. But I think but I think people are just upset because it's a more significant amount that at least the marketing portrays. I now, think that's a dumb decision if that's really the case. Well, I yeah, I mean, but I will say that, you know, we do have to remember no matter how controversial Brian Singer is. He's always he's gay himself. So yeah, he's <laughs> I think super a lot gay, of people yeah. don't put that into the or I don't know if he's like fully gay if he's bisexual. No, I'm pretty like, sure he's yeah. Yeah, but but like uh, he puts that he puts the he puts a lot of that message sure. into I, I don't. A lot of his I'm movies, gonna so. I, I'm actually gonna counter you, and I don't think that's the case. But I don't. We won't know until we'll see the movie. Yeah, but I no, don't I think don't it's think, shy away no, from. I've 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 read reviews where people are like, oh, I thought that wasn't gonna address it, but it addresses it very okay. sensitively. So. Yeah, I mean, Rotten Tomato scores are always kind of funny to see why it's high and why it's low. First Man, I think a, lo- a, a little bit of it was was due to that, but I don't think a lot of it was. But it's mm. it's again, we talked about it last week how it's so funny that that was a controversy, even though this movie is like super pro America. <laughs> yeah, it's super pro America. Like yeah. everyone would love it. Uh, Gunslinger one ninety nine says, "Don't worry, RB three. All bald people look alike." Ooh, <laughs> shots fired. Uh, I was getting Corey Stoll and uh, the other Corey Stoll. Yeah, up, uh, I think I saw the trailer again, and I'm like, how could he not know that's Corey Stoll? <laughs> nah, man, I thought, that was I thought of you. I was like, man, come on, man, yeah, it's got, Corey Stoll. You got Paul Shear's Paul Shear haircut, man. His uh, <laughs> uh, basis 1996 says Chazelle is one of my favorite film directors of all time, just for Whiplash alone. That movie is so intense and one of the most satisfying endings I have ever seen, probably in my top ten of all time. Another great episode, guys. Amen. Brother. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, it's a great ending, and we talked about you know how intense that moment is and how beautiful that moment is and the fact that he just ends it on that note is just perfect mm-hmm. uh now let's get into Kerry joji fukunaga uh a director that we were talking about earlier let's ta- let's start out right the bat about the whole it thing and the fact that i feel like Kerry is both famous for what he's done with true detective and he's famous for his films but he's also famous for being a, a director who's very outspoken as being an auteur, right? An auteur director, right? Which is kind of the whole basis of our podcast is about the definitions of a director and the uh, power of storytelling that a director can have and can hold over people. And he's the reason why he's known for this kind of stuff, obviously, is for True Detective and having the f- full creative freedom to work with, uh, I forget the guy's name, Nick Pelosi or Nick Pelosi. I think, yeah. Uh, um, that's a true detective. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and have a collaboration with him and then work with two actors and have a full collaboration with them to create a giant 10-episode movie is, or 8-episode movie, which essentially is what it is. Um, and he's very vocal about the fact that he wants creative freedom. He wants to have the director's stamp of approval, and he wants the budget in order to accomplish what he does. I saw an interview he had um, a long time ago when he was promoting Beast of No Nation, and he was talking about the ability to have the right budget to accomplish his vision. And I think that's something that we live in a time now during this film circle that we're in, RB3, where a lot of people talk about, like, Jordan Peele. He made Get Out for, like, you know, pocket change and stuff like that. And and it's the, the idea of like elevating directors for having no money and accomplishing their vision. Whereas Carrie was saying, that's kind of an unfair thing because if I want to complete my vision, you should trust me with this kind of money and I can fully, you know, show what I want to show, whether that be 
uh, situations at the border with Sin Nombre or whether that be the craziness of True Detective uh, in the landscape of Louisiana, whatever it is that he wants to use his money for, he says that directors should have that, that kind of budget, a, 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 a decent sized budget and not just like, we'll give you five mil, you know, that kind of situation. He's a very vocal director in the sense that let me have my vision. And a lot of that came from the It situation, right? Where he wrote the script, showed it to Stephen King. Stephen King loved it um, and basically pushed back with the studio a lot about what they wanted to do and how far they wanted to push the envelope. And then eventually he even casted his own Pennywise and then eventually it just disappeared and went into nowhere. Uh, and they hired Andy Muschietti. Um, it's, it's a situation that I feel got his name in the headlines quite a bit in the film circle. What do you think about that whole situation that went down? And Kerry Fukunaga as a director himself being such a vocal person talking about having creative artistic vision and decisions. Hey, well, I'm, I'm with all directors getting as much creative freedom as possible. The dwindling budgets is, is, a, is an epidemic in, in, in Hollywood right now. Uh, I even looked at the budget. You know, Halloween is a movie I really loved. Uh, not loved, but I really enjoyed. Uh, and that movie was only made for $10 million. But, you know, that's the Blumhouse model of making movies nowadays is just like shoot them for cheap and expect the high profitability margin. And granted, you know, a lot of times when these, a lot of times you can make movies for the, for, uh, for that cheap because they're not paying big stars. I mean, you know, Halloween doesn't have any big stars, big, big A-list producers, directors or whatever. So a lot of times budgets do get inflated by like big egos, big personalities, big people being in it. But, you know, for the case of Kerry Fukunaga, when you watch, or am I saying his name correctly? I'm just not Fukunaga, even going yeah. to try. Um, <laughs> whenever you watch one of his movies, uh, you see all the money on screen. You know what I mean? And and not just the money with the actors, but with the, the camera work, with the, with the locations. I mean, every one of his films has a very distinct cinematic quality to it. it, it and even throughout his television work as well. Um, and he expands on that uh, and, and maximizes that as well. So I think for any creative, um, having the right budget is is necessary. Um, now with the is situation, that, that that's interesting because um, I you know uh, I, I I've been following that, and of course I'm being a big fan of True Detective and Beast of No Nation, um, I was very excited to see what you know the it project was going to look like. And I read the like leak script that. Uh, oh, you read the whole of, thing? Uh, yeah, Holy yeah, yeah. Crap. I mean, I was into it. Well, it was also because at the time I was like, I was kind of bullshitting a, a, a project for for it. I was had to I had to read the book it, but I didn't read the whole book. I just had to focus on the parts of like Mike because it was for like race relations or whatever. Sure, at least that's what I was writing on. Um, so then through that, I ended up reading like a lot of the it book and like kind of reading a little bit of the script just so I had like understanding of what was like happening or whatever, um, and. The the whole idea of it in the book is like taking the traditional horror cliches and then uh, just kind of flipping it into these chi these children, mm. um, and then uh, the whole idea of Carrie's thing was was just like no we're not gonna do that because in the book it's all like the werewolf the mummy like all these iconic like movie characters, um, but in his adaptation he kind of just stripped all of that back and wanted to make it as purely um, internalized fears as possible. Um, which I think was amazing. He, 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 and what we ultimately end up seeing in the movie is 90% of what was in that original script. I was going to so, say, that kind of is what the movie did. Yeah, what, but, what Andy's movie, did, or Andres's movie, he's, he's got my name, Andres. Andres. Uh, Andres Muschietti. <laughs> yeah. He, he kind of, he kind of did that. Like yeah. he kind of, I'm still curious if he has credit on that script. Oh, he doesn't. Uh, I'm looking does, it up yeah. right now, but he, 
Yeah, screenplay by Kerry Fukunaga. Yeah, I mean, because it's very... 20, 2017, it, it's still it's very, it's still written by Kerry, screen, screenplay by Kerry Fukunaga. Is that, is, is that he's the only credit or...? Uh, no, I mean, there's Chase Palmer also. Oh, okay. um, It's probably like... But Chase Palmer, here it is right now. Uh, Chase Palmer, Kerry Fukunaga, Kerry Doberman, uh, and oh, based on the novel yeah, by four, Stephen yeah, King. Three writers on it. Three but, writers, but essentially, but it was a it's lot a Carrie Fukunaga script. It was, a, it was a lot of that script. And, you know, and he was, and, you know, you even see it in the scene with the leopard. The One of the main differences was the scenes with the leopard, with the little kid, who, uh, or maybe not that one. But anyway, one of the scary parts was originally uh, an old lady getting out of a bathtub in the same way in The Shining. Oh, yeah, it's the Jewish kid. I forget his name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of the painting that comes to life? Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. The original scare in in the script was an old lady coming out of a bathtub and very reminiscent of The Shining. So... Like when, uh, so, but that's the parallel here. He wanted to, he didn't want to make the same movie that Andy Muschietti or Andy Muschietti made. He wanted to make a very artistic, art house, weird, crazy it movie. That's what he, that, that was the intent that he was going for. And if he wanted to make it like The Shining, very artsy, very weird. And, and, um, and the studio just didn't want that. They mm-hmm. wanted something more commercial. So it's just fascinating that. It's yes. it's incredibly fascinating, and and it's 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 fascinating because I loved it. I loved Andy Muschietti's right. it, and Me I too. thought it was great. And I and I do feel like it was very commercial and very appealing to almost. I I kind of said almost to all ages, not quite like hey, it's for kids, but it's mm-hmm. it's almost for all ages, right? Yeah. I, I I personally felt that. I mean, considering that it was rated R too, right? Mm-hmm. It's an R rated movie, but. I, I don't mind a 13-year-old seeing this movie or a 14-year-old seeing You see what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. not that kind of, like, hard R, crazy, this is messed up kind of stuff. It was more of, like, everyone can kind of enjoy this this battle that these kids are having. Yeah. And I think that's eventually the product that we got versus the product that Carrie would have given us would have been a little bit more smaller audience, I think, would have mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Maybe a, a, a few audiences would have been put off by it, yeah. considering the stuff that he wanted to do. Because I think he really wanted to push the envelope. I think that scene was one of them. Mm-hmm. But I, I forget, he also mentioned like a few other moments in the in the film that would be a little bit like, yo, this, these are kids, man. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. my stuff. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, considering these are children yeah. in the movie. Uh, and they very much don't shy away from the fact that they're kids. But but yeah, it's it's incredibly fascinating to see the development process of Carrie, the script, Andy, the replacement. Because Andy also had, um, I, for, I always forget if it's his wife or his sister. I think it's his sister producing it with him. Mm. Um, so they had that producing team. Um, and they also had, I think, I might be wrong, but I think Guillermo del Toro was one of the people who like, kind of like dropped the mic on Andy too. All right. I think, well, he originally was uh, the director of Mama. That, I know uh, that, but I'm saying like, I think Guillermo del Toro is like the kind of homie to be like, pick up a phone and be like, yo, this is uh, my homie. Right, he, right, he right. legit. And, and the studios are like, all right, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. Like he's the kind of homie to do that. Um, so I think that happened with it too. I might be wrong, but um, considering the relationship that Guillermo has with Warner Brothers, um, but uh, but yeah, it really is fascinating to see the development process and to see how much he wants to make like an art house type movie, and they wanted a much more commercial movie. And what ended up happening was a very commercial movie, and it's the biggest R rated opening of all time. Yeah, one of the biggest R rated movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that situation all fascinating. But eventually, he still got his. Uh, start with short films, which is usually what we see with directors. Um, uh, Kerry Fukunaga is, I believe he's half Japanese. 
Um, I think his dad grew up in internment camps. I don't know if it was in Japan or if in the U.S. Wow. Um, but he has, that's a, or his grandpa did. Uh, no, his dad was a third generation Japanese American born in an internment camp during World War II. Uh, and his mom was Swedish American. So sh he has that kind of like dynamic of having that fascinating, crazy, disturbing tale that his father can tell. And that type of storytelling coming from his father, I believe, is what influenced his hand in directing and why the majority of all Kerry Fukunaga's uh, filmography, essentially, or or his work, his, his, what he does is dealing with subject matter that's very, very visceral, very real, and very grounded in reality. That's that's Sin Nombre, that's Beast of No Nations, that's True Detective. Those, those types of shows and those types of movies, I personally feel the, the fact that his father grew up in an internment camp has a huge influence on that. Because when you hear direct storytelling, first-person storytelling of a dad telling you this story, um, and he talked about it in the interview, how his dad would tell him the story and he would keep asking him questions because it's such a crazy, disturbing story that it impacted him in such a manner that he wants to tell these types of stories. And that's the types of stories we get with the three stuff that I just named. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the kind of content he made, which is why he had a interest, a fascination with uh, child soldiers in Africa. Right. With uh, he made a short called Kofi about the, you know, the commandant uh, in Africa, uh, which was hugely popular when he made that. I mean, it got national news. It got worldwide news. Um, he made Victoria Parachino. I have no idea what this short is about. Um, Interesting. But it's it's uh, it's it's the it's a border crossing short film. And it's so I like preludes to his. It uh, is. His That's what I'm saying. Like he made a, he made an African <laughs> Warlord movie, he, a short, I'm sorry, he made a border crossing short. Uh, and then eventually he made the border crossing movie, his first feature film, which is called Sin Nombre, uh, came out in 2009. I've, I have not been able to fully see this movie, unfortunately, because mm -hmm. I just found out about it through you, RB3. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I be had fair, no idea. Yeah, I, we I, decided we decided on Carrie pretty pretty late. We did, uh, and uh, and I tried. but uh, <laughs> But it really did catch my attention, and the bit that I did see was was something that hit me personally. Obviously, I always talk about it. I'm rolling my eyes at myself because I already hear people rolling their eyes <laughs> while they're listening. Because mm. here he comes again talking about this situation. But these, this, the border crossing concept, the border crossing reality of life between, uh, between the border of Mexico and the U.S., between the border of Mexico and Guatemala, Mexico and, and Central America, is these are the types of movies I would make RB3. Because that's the situation that I'm most close to, and that's the situation that I'm most passionate for. Kerry mm -hmm. um, Fukunaga like has this passion; he has the same kind of passion. Um, I'm not entirely sure why. I'm, I'd be curious to find out, but he has this same kind of fascination with the horrible, visceral, destructive reality of crossing the border. And, and, and being wanting to do this is another reality that a lot of people I feel here in this country ignore because they, they kind of take it as like criminal, criminal. That, that's all they think as far as like people wanting to cross the border. And they don't realize that it's not criminal. It's literally like refugee type shit. Like this is some stuff that you're literally like, I'm probably going to die doing this stuff. I'm going to hike, I don't know, 2,400 miles. And I'm probably going to die, but screw it. I'm going to do it. 
Why? Because if I die doing this, it's better than dying back there. That that kind of situation. And I, I feel like a lot of people don't realize that kind of reality, where you're set in a reality where you're willing to risk your life to accomplish something, and that what you want to accomplish is grounded in roots of peace, it's grounded in roots of stability, and it's grounded in roots of uh, support, because that's all these people want to do for the most part. And, and, and we don't see that as getting much attention as we usually get other people getting that attention. And that's kind of the reality that he builds around these stories about um, these kids that are growing up in a world where it's literally run by gangs. Um, especially he highlights the Mara, the Mara Salvatrucha, um, which everyone knows about, MS, MS-13. Um, and I've, I've known about the Mara for years because, you know, I've lived literally close to the border. So I've heard the horror stories, like horror stories, man. Um, and it's crazy because about, I think, three or four years ago in El Salvador, they kind of like had moments where they were kind of taking over the government, where it was literally like martial law, Mara is like, the, it was such a heavy influence that they would almost take over the government. Like gangs were like it, like you had to get out of the damn country. And there was such a, a em immigration is what the word is instead of emigra immigration of people just fleeing this country because there was so much of gang involvement. Um, and I, I hear about this stuff because what a lot of people don't know and what this film kind of highlights is the border crossing between the U.S. and Mexico, the majority of those people or the large portion of those people aren't Mexican. They're all Central American. Guatemala, El Salvador, Panama. Like these are the countries that come in through Mexico and that the immigration issue across the border of Central America and Mexico is the bigger immigration. And that's what people kind of don't realize is that the super, 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 super like refugee type people are coming from Central America and not coming from Mexico. And that's kind of what the film highlights as well. And we see the gang violence, we see the desperation, and we see the reality of just a simple family wanting to, to make it as well. We see both sides, right? Um, I know you didn't catch this movie, right, RB3? Uh, okay, yeah, that's yeah, kind of why I'm talking a lot, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it really is. These are the types of messages and these are the types of situations that Kerry Fukunaga wants to build on a narrative scale where people can digest this type of information, digest this type of reality in a narrative type of way, right? Um, and that's what he does in Beast of No Nation as well, right? What do you think about that as a, as a as a brand of his of his filmmaking, of 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 introducing documentary type content, right, with Beast of No Nation, uh, and with uh, Sin Nombre, whether it be the border crossing, and make it into a narrative style, so where American audiences can kind of observe and indulge this type of content. Right. I mean, you have to tell those kinds of stories to uh, mm -hmm. get the messages out there, and um, I mean, I think you know, particularly with uh, the stuff relating to the border and, and you know, all, all types of violence that people just don't see in, like, regular media, you kind of have to portray narratively because uh, you have to get a better understanding of the people in this in those situations. Um, so through Carrie making these movies, um, adding perspectives like the kid in Beast of No Nation, as I'm sure the protagonist in Sinomble, you know, is, is to give a person... Uh, is to give an audience a viewpoint, uh, some eyes to see 
this kind of lifestyle through and really uh, add a perspective in it. So yeah, especially through the mind of a, of a child, right? It's that yeah. it's that idea of like Carrie takes everything to like the extreme. As far as like, we're not just gonna have some guy get beat up and get destroyed and lose his family. We're gonna have that guy be a nine year old kid. Mm. Like that's the same as in Sing Nombre, right? It's a child. It's like a 10, 11 year old kid. So we're we're taking the audience's uh, emotional status and just bringing it down to the corest, most deepest level of like awful, awful feelings that you have inside of you because you're seeing not just someone suffer, but you're seeing a child suffer. Someone mm-hmm. who, who represents innocence. In my opinion, that's what a child represents is innocence, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who doesn't have a decision in what's happening to them. They're just, it's just happening to them. And that's the reality of their life. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. It's one of those things where I was thinking about documentary filmmaking and how it's something that I might want to dive into as well. And the idea of, uh, did you see the Paul Greengrass 22 July movie that just came out on Netflix two weeks ago? I haven't seen it, no. uh, It's about the the Norway shootings um, oh, shoot. that happened in 2011 or 2013. I think it's 2011. I don't know if you remember this, uh, but it's, it's, it's a, a, a Nazi guy who just dressed up as a cop and went to like a summer camp island. It was like a little island off Norway. Yeah. Um, and he just had like a freaking assault rifle. I forget what gun he had. Just killed like 80 kids. Like oh, no 77. Way. Yeah. Jesus. It's, it's, it's one of the biggest like mass murder terrorist situations ever. And it's just, it's the most pure, evil, awful, like that's the, the true detective type stuff, right? Where they don't just see the, the mass murder of children is the, the most visceral type stuff. And I watched this movie and I'm thinking to myself, I'm I'm taking in this content. I'm taking in this story, th- a real life story, right? Kind of like Beast of No Nation may be a real life story, or kind of like Sing Nombre might be a real life story. These real life situations, these real life type stories, and I'm seeing it through the mind of a child in that situation instead of in forms of documentary. And I think that's where it has an advantage, right? The the narrative format, telling a real life story. And how it can have a much more deeper impact than maybe me seeing like a border crossing documentary or like some family in Tennessee watching like a border crossing documentary or watching a documentary on uh, child soldiers in Africa, right? It, it might have a deeper impact on you profoundly on an emotional scale if you see that in narrative format. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's why um, I, mean, I think that's why, the, you know, Carrie doesn't shy away from doing um, you know, these very extreme pieces of subject matter. And, um, and you know, I, I read that he did, like, two years of research uh, before going into, like, Sinomble, uh, to, uh b- before production of it or whatever. And, and same thing with Beast of No Nation. He spent a lot of time um, out there uh, in, 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 in those countries that are affected by uh, the child soldiers. And, uh, and he looked firsthand. It's almost like investigative journalism to a certain extent, right? Like, you know, you have to really be in the story to tell the story. And, and I think uh, any director who, who puts themselves, um, who, who dedicates themselves so much to the portrayal of reality um, that these unfortunate circumstances, like, surround, uh, you know, it, that, that really makes for some powerful narrative uh, storytelling. Yeah, I mean, it really does have an impact on you, and it's a very bold form of storytelling and it's a bold form of career choices too right if you think about carrie's career choices in general he he he's very not shy to show what his thoughts are on certain subject matters and he's not shy about being that director who's probably going to show you stuff that you don't want to see or you don't want to hear about because it's so visceral and real and horrifying 
um, like Beast of No Nation and like Sing Nombre. Um, last thing for me on Sing Nombre is the fact that it, it, when you see these kind of stories, and obviously, obviously, all credit to to the cast. He 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 street casted a lot of a lot of people. He street casted most of this movie, I believe. Um, getting yeah. like no 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 like no name actors and just no actors in general. Uh, I know one of the girls in this movie, the girl who plays the main uh, young girl who's crossing the border, is from Narcos. I've seen her in Narcos. Obviously, she's much older in Narcos because this came out in two thousand nine. She plays Pablo's wife, uh, and she's great. She's freaking dope. She's a really good actress that probably might get much more attention when uh, when she goes mainstream in the U.S. because she's I think she's Mexican. Um, so that's kind of my last thing too, and the fact that these are the types of stories that I probably will tell in my future. I'm cr crossing my fingers because again, it's the most passionate thing I'm about, and it's the the most firsthand accounts that I can give you because I can give you firsthand accounts on the reality of living between Juarez and Mexico and Reynosa. They actually mentioned Reynosa in this movie too, and Reynosa and McAllen too. Uh, let's move on to Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre. Jane yeah. Eyre. As you guys can tell, my connection to this movie is much lighter. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is no Mexican border. It's really no Mexican border. It's an 18th but it's, century Victorian. Hey, that's my other. Hey, that's my other song. That's my other hometown, bro. I'm across the pond. I'm like I'm Mexican. I'm Colombian, but yeah. but I got my love for them British. British, British British dramas, shows. bro. Yeah, British dramas, yeah. yeah. Nah, man. Uh, Jane Eyre is definitely one of those. This is an adaptation of a. Uh, I don't know if it's Jane Austen actually, but it, it probably it is. probably is. It has honestly. to be. I don't know, but it's, it comes from that same like error, and uh, you know, it, it's definitely you know the, this you know as of all books of that kind of time period, it addresses social class, it, it addresses social issues, um, gender issues of the time, right? The expectations of being married. That's kind of the central theme of this movie, uh, and and the book and the literature. Now, to be honest. Only reason why I really know this movie is because in high school, this came out in 2011. In high yeah. school, uh, 2014, I was in my senior year of, of English class. We read Jane Eyre. I did not read Jane Eyre, but I uh, did partake in the movie. Uh, and this was obviously very critically acclaimed, so it was, uh, it was pretty good. Uh, but yeah, it uh, stars Michael Fassbender and hey. the, the chick from uh, Alice in Wonderland. I can't remember her name. Mia, Mia Wojciechowski? <laughs> Mia Wazakowski. 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 Okay, Wazikowski. I'm not even going to try it, bro. Um, Mia from Alice in Wonderland is in this movie. She's the main, she's Jane Eyre. I just uh, I'm not going to try Mia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mia W. <laughs> yeah, and she actually gives a great performance as she's being dope, man. this trouble thing. And I think with this movie uh illustrates um you know that is clear throughout also you know another clear theme that's throughout all of uh, carrie's uh filmography is uh the theme of mental illness right mm -hmm. how mental illness is a, is a big driving factor and um and and and, and a lot of people and and a, and a lot of carrie carrie's films uh, this this one in particular, it's a lot about the paranoia, right? The the, mm. the fear of not knowing who you're married to, and you know, once it's revealed who the husband is, who who Michael Fassbender's character is, how he, he who, you know, who's he's a guy who is, lives in this f enormous house, but keeps a woman locked away in his closet. You know, at the end of the movie, it's revealed that he keeps a woman locked away in his closet who he was married to previously. Um, but like she just yeah, she went crazy. So uh, it's, it's how the mental illness of that affects her. It's about how you know our, our protagonist Jane Eyre herself. She 
doesn't necessarily want to partake in marriage in the same way that like you know in the same way that society is expecting her to but she's marrying this guy because he has um stability as it seems you know um but you know because she's put under societal pressure she's put into the situation where she's full of fear full of paranoia around this guy she doesn't really know anything about who michael fassman's character is she's just felt like he, he was an appropriate one to marry so it's just all these it's, it's all of these you know themes and and and, and um, ideas from you know that's carried over from what the Victorian era novels were, were about but also like a postmodern aesthetic where it also feels very horror-ish gothic you know very um, eerie and scary mm-hmm. and, and kind of nasty so um, it gives a very subjective point of view to Jane Eyre as opposed to the you know the novel obviously portrays those emotions as well but the film really gives an a- additional layer of subjectivity of you know, like perspective so yeah I really, I really interesting like yeah I mean it's also she's also the one from um, Crimson Peak Yes. She was in Crimson, Crimson Peak, Peak yeah. which also Another has those kind of elements. Yeah, yeah that yeah. super goth feel, the super eerie feeling that that Crimson Peak has. I forgot. I completely forgot she was in that. Yeah. Um, how not. how much did this movie get any award attention? Or I don't think so. But I think I don't think it did. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the first big roles that Fassbender. I think this and Shame both came out in 2011. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so this one, I definitely remember Jane Eyre getting buzzed too, like around around that that the time of it being released again. I didn't see it. But yeah, when it came uh, out, I just saw it for high school. But <laughs> yeah, Jamie Bell's in this movie too. That's interesting. Jamie Bell, yeah, I think he's. Uh, but I mean, it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of different characters and aspects that all kind of uh, interweave together throughout the story. So it's written by Charlotte Bronte. Bronte. Um, so it is not uh, who we thought it's it not was. Jane Austen, not Jane Austen. Not Jane Austen. Yeah, that's interesting. So this is like an 1800s type novel that people have adapted. It's interesting too because we see that um, that type of storytelling that it's it's I'm I'm always curious cuz there's always going to be a crowd for that, man. But there's always going to the be a crowd pieces. for like 18th century British period pieces. Well, yeah, but this one this one's more of a horror movie though, too. Okay, to a is it? Okay. Yeah. So like not maybe a horror but like a thriller of like some spooky elements. So I think you probably enjoy it a little a little more than the traditional Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibilities type deal you know it's a little more so this one has a little more tone to it interesting yeah and it's crazy talking about the kind of films that Kerry Fuganaga likes to make and the kind of films that he likes to put people in um so far all of them are pretty I don't want to use that word that's always overused but gritty yeah. pretty gritty pretty real pretty in your face pretty violent yeah, uh, Jane Eyre, but Jane Eyre is a little whimsical too, to, oh, to a certain extent. Okay. Yeah, but more towards the horror kind of unknown aspects. Sure. Yeah, but uh, it's definitely and and I think, but adding the elements of realism with subjectivity, I wouldn't say it's like not being realistic. I would just say it's more subjective, right? Mm. Like, I think the subjectivity of Carrie Fukunaga's filmography too, even though I haven't seen Sinumbre, but. Um, you know, through Jane Eyre and then through True Detective, which we're going to talk about, uh, all of those have a very specific point of view that makes the the grittiness even grittier to a certain extent, right? Mm. Like you, you you're experiencing it through a character that's dealing with these really like 
traumatizing type of situations and you feel more for it because you have that added perspective. Mm, that's so good. I think that's I think that's a lot of what he does. And he does that a lot in his most biggest claim to fame, and that is True Detective. Mm-hmm. True Detective is eight episodes. It is HBO. It is based on Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson's performance. I think that's kind of the biggest thing that people take away from oh, yeah. him. This is prime reconnaissance. Oh, yeah. I think uh, this is the I think the this is McCon- the McConaughey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this and Dallas Buyers Club, of course. Absolutely, man. This is the straight up Matthew McConaughey with a super southern accent twirling his fingers <laughs> as he's telling a story. <laughs> no, I just really, you know, really <laughs> doing this, and it was crazy, you know. And he's doing that all whole right, thing. All right, all right. <laughs> but uh, what is your connection to True Detective, man? True Detective. So I because wa- I, I probably have a different one than you do. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch it like when it aired live. Me too. I yeah, didn't. yeah. No, I, yeah. I, this was one. Actually, before season two came out, I binged it okay. before, so I, I just knew, you know, so I knew what, even though I knew it was an anthology, but. I, I, I take it idea. back, though. I did, when it came out, I did see it, like really? the premiere, yeah, and okay. I was like, nah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't lie. I, I remember watching it when it premiered, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, nah. It's not for me. Yeah. Uh, and then I had, ended up going back to watch it and finish it because of all the big, you know, buzz coming out of it. Um, so, yeah, my connection might be a little bit more similar to yours where I was, like, not keeping up with it when it was out. Nah, I didn't keep up. But I remember I remember, I was still a Schmoes fan during that time. Oh, nice. I remember JTE would not shut the fuck up yeah. about you, Detective. Yeah. Like, every time this dude spoke, it was like, he still true, does. Detective, true Detective. He still does. Yeah. He loves that shit, man. So, but he was definitely, because I would definitely attribute JTE to being one of the sole reasons why I ended up picking up on that's season what's, one. That's what's good. That's what I kind of feel like people should do more. I like GT because he does it. He did it with a few other things, too. I forget which ones. Oh, yeah, The Guest. Or was that GT or was that Cody? I forget who it was. I, I don't know. One of those I two guys. I really like that movie. Like, oh, oh I like The Guest, man. I mean, I like it. I like it. I like it. Oh, I really... I, I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, but True Detective, man, it deals with... Uh, the storytelling narrative between retelling a story and then seeing that story between mm. a 17 year gap of 1995 in Louisiana mm. um, to I think 2012 where this guy Matthew McConaughey's character Rust uh, and Woody Harrelson's character of Marty mm-hmm. is going through this narrative of these Louisiana murders that took place uh and it takes that setting. I think another character in this movie, I mean, I'm sorry, in this show, is Louisiana. It's like rural Louisiana type setting. I think that's like a character within itself. And Carrie is very uh, vocal about putting that into his show and making Louisiana this eerie, swampy, creepy, almost like horror setting that McConaughey's character and Woody Harrelson's character have to like navigate around right where the south is just this setting filled with uh, Christianity and filmed with the conservative nature of the world and yet you can see literally the face of the devil um, in this show because of that contrast that we see between Louisiana in the middle of nowhere right it's that it's that hell of being in the middle of nowhere and I feel like that's a huge element in the show itself. But yeah. the story basically deals with them retelling their encounters with this serial killer um, and then being haunted by that same serial killer and realizing that maybe they didn't complete the mission of taking him out and they have to do it now, 17 years later, as they're older guys and more like 
battered and bruised through what the life has taken them as being a detective, mm -hmm. seeing the most horrifying type stuff. I mean, we even see Woody Harrelson say that, you know, when Matthew McConaughey, I think it's episode seven, where he asked him, like, why did you quit? And he says, like, I saw the most horrifying stuff. I saw, like, babies getting killed that I was just like, you know what? I'm out. I'm done. I don't want to see this stuff anymore. Like, that, the type of evil that these people, that these guys would see affected them. And also the characterization of Matthew McConaughey's character, right? Because he's he is that weird, quirky guy. Yeah, let's get to this shit. Ace, do you think time is a loop? Yes or no? <laughs> I was going to say, bro, there's, there's some stuff in this show. <laughs> And I know it's based on interpretation, and I know I take that interpretation and I stretch it to like the most extreme. Uh, so I, I personally, I, I'm a weird guy, you know this, man. So I believe in a lot of supernatural type stuff. Um, so I take a lot of what's happening here as like really happening. <laughs> like, like when we finally meet the scarred man, I don't know what they call him in the movie. The, the yellow something like that. Yeah. I forget what it's called. Oh, the yellow King. Um, so. but when we finally meet the guy, I'm like, that guy's not human. No, he's not. He's like straight up like a <laughs> demon, bro. Like you can't. And they give you hints at that, too, obviously, with McConaughey's character and with the whole freaking satanic worship stuff that's going on. Um, but that kind of element of, like, taking the face of evil itself and confronting the face of evil and being on a, on a mission, right? Because that's what Rust is on, essentially, throughout his entire life, on a mission to stop this evil. And he feels like this is almost like his holy mission to 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 stop this no matter who nobody believes him and the system is working against him because the system can be a part of it i think that too is like the biggest encounter of we see the the matthew mcconaughey's neurosis as being a little bit loose and yet he can use his kind of craziness his obsession his his maniacal nature to be going after something to attack something that's pure evil Mm -hmm. Right. And what's more pure evil than what they do in this show, which is horrifying to children. Right. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what the entire show encapsulates. It's, it's facing off against evil and it's facing off against forces of nature that might be bigger than humans and might be bigger than humanity. Forces of darkness that might be working more than you realize that they're working. Well, even um, well, I mean, you, I mean, you could look directly to at what. Um, Matthew McConaughey's character believes he doesn't believe that we're solo entities in the universe, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he he doesn't, um, or he, you know, he he has a very nihilistic perspective to say the least, right? Matthew McConaughey's character, I can't remember his like exact name, Rust. Rust. Rust has a very like nihilistic quality. So for him, you know, the issues, you know, for 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 him, life is is nothing because he just. I mean, he. I mean, he only see. You know, he sees outside of uh, just our reality. He the sees universe. The universe, right? Yeah. So he thinks. Uh, he thinks on a very nihilistic, from a very nihilistic perspective. So for him to be enlightened by, by this kind of trauma, right at the end, uh, just goes to show like how uh, how traumatic, how much of a traumatic experience can uh, directly influence uh, a person's perspective mm. on the universe. Um, and how his and how his and how his jaded perspective against not jaded per se, but how his perspective, uh, uh, you know, against the earth, uh, uh, how, how he feels, you know, just as as a as a human instead of being, you know, uh, you know, outside of I don't know how to like explain this correctly, but like how his interpretation of the universe 
kind of affects his detective work. He doesn't, he, you know, for him, it's not about understanding uh, why the crimes are done. It's about getting inside the mind of the criminal, mm. right? And for him, this was just that uncrackable case. Like, he just could not get inside who this man was because, he, you know, for him, men are just men. Like, you know, for him, people are just people. But for this entity in and of itself, it was just that unbreakable code that kept driving him all the way from you know, from the beginning of the case all the way towards the end. Yeah, I mean, it really is the belief of, like, not just... I don't want to say we are alone in the universe, but the concept of time, right? Because he talks about time, yeah. and he talks about how humanity or humans view time as linear and can interpret time only as linear and how... Uh, you know, truly how time can be a circle and how we can interpret other times as a circle mm -hmm. and that there's, you know, whether it be different dimensions or different realities or different beings that can interpret that time in a different way than humanity can. Mm -hmm. So our impact on time itself and, and just how life is so insignificant to the rest of the universe, right? Where it's just like a little, it's a breath and then it's gone. And that's just life itself. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's part of it. But it also towards the finale, because I rewatched the finale, um, mm -hmm. how he talks about uh, the stars in the sky and how he would make stories up about the stars in the sky and how he views um, the star as, you know, the, the star itself is a life, right? You know, the star has a life. It has a beginning. It has an end. Mm -hmm. um, and how it can just fade out and it fades out. Eventually, stars can do that. But how also... Um, there's so much darkness in the sky and there's still little bits of light that are lighting up the sky, but how in the beginning of the universe there was only darkness, mm -hmm. right? In the beginning of, of time itself, there was only darkness. So the fact that there's light in the sky, it's, it's, it's the battle between light and dark. That's what I got with, with what he was saying, was mm -hmm. the fact that it, the universe is at war and the war is between light and dark and there is pure evil out there with what we saw with freaking Scarred Man, who's just pure evil, um, and there is people trying to bring in that lightness. Uh, and when he walks in the finale and when he walks into that, um, I don't want to say it's a cave, but the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And when he looks up and he sees basically hell, um, you know, when that's the swirling that you see what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he feels that he feels the presence of something that's evil. He feels the supernatural battles that are going on in the world without us realizing it. Again, I'm going super weird with you, bro, <laughs> because I do believe in that stuff. I believe in the dimensional battles and all that stuff. And he realizes that what he's encountering is something that's not human. It's something that came into this world to, to, to bring in the darkness. And it's kind of like his mission to stop that. Mm. Um, that's how I got from it. That's what I got from it. And the fact that this guy, I don't know how you interpreted him, uh, Scarred Man, but the fact that he was just like, the, not just the fact that it, it's the most evil type stuff, right? Child sacrifice, targeting children, doing it throughout periods, long periods of time, doing it through cover-ups of the government and through the cover-ups of, of cops and police and, and churches and all this type of stuff. And using all that to perform acts that are not just satanic worship and demon worship, but just bringing actual demons into the world to a point where... This guy's you can question the psyche and that's probably what most people do in this and throughout this show But I don't question the psyche. I question the reality of what they're experiencing Which is why when we first meet the guy and he's mowing the lawn at the, outside of the cemetery And he's like yes, sir You go down here and you go down the other way and then we see him talk to um, Whatever his sister-in-law or uncle or I mean not uncle aunt or whatever whatever she is and he's got like this heavy British accent. Did you notice that? Mm -hmm. And, I, and it's, it's supposed to show you his psychosis. Uh, 
throughout the story. But what I got it from was like, yo, this guy ain't human. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like this guy's straight up evil. He's like, he's not even human. He's a freaking demon. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's how he can turn so quick. Uh, that's that's kind of my situation with this show, man. This sh- the fact that this show can show you that, and the fact that the show can show you the the narrative that 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 uh, Southern conservative Christian America has of of the 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 fact that it was covered up all throughout the schools, man. That to me was a big emphasis throughout the show, and I think that I I personally got got the biggest gulp out of that. Right, the fact that. It's not just child sacrifice, destruction, and rape, and disgusting stuff, but it's all coming from the church, and you know, coming from a cover-up of the church, right? And how Christian schools were covering up the situation, and how these Christian priests and Christian teachers and Christian counselors and and and, and influencers and pastors were 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 covering up pure evil. The irony of that was something that I, I don't know if you caught that too. Yeah. Oh, you okay? Cool. No, no <laughs> I, was I, mean, say. I, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that's. I mean, that's what. I mean, I think that's definitely what they're saying. I mean, I think that's what they're saying on the 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 the, the surface level of it too, right? And then I think uh, underneath. I mean, I think underneath it was really uh, an allegory for how we cover up uh, our mental illnesses, right? How we cover mm-hmm. up what we're ashamed of. How we cover up what we don't, you know, what we're not necessarily proud of, but we have to wear on our vest because that's just what's part of us, right? Yeah, that's Matthew and, McConaughey's character. Right, right, yeah. right. That's Matthew McConaughey's character, but it's 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 like externalized through uh through the church, right? Through mm-hmm. the through uh this this church kind of backing this this uh, this ugly, you know, not intentionally backing, no. but like but through through their channels of trying to protect the community or, or protect themselves, they are funneling this really nasty ugly part of 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 the society of of the community and through that you know that i mean that is i think a big emphasis of mental illness like within uh within like carries carries filmography but within this community in particular i mean you know we don't you know we don't have enough research enough backing on, on mental illness to fully understand what what a lot of these people are going through um but you know if if that was more if that was more if that was highly if that was prioritized higher than uh you know say some of the you know kind of arbitrary you know christian you know stuff that you know that louisiana is has been behind then i'm sure it would have been a lot more of a it would have been a lot different situation but mm. you know you know mental illness is largely unchecked in a lot of communities and I, and that's that's a big part of it that's that's absolutely yeah 100% too and i like how i'm talking about interdimensional warfare <laughs> No, no, and you're no. talking about mental. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, it's because both. that's what I got from it. I yeah. got into the mental warfare. I, I personally, I love. I, have you seen Avatar: The Last Airbender? Yeah. Have you seen the finale of Avatar: The Last Airbender yeah. when l- the lion turtle comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. to give Aang the power to uh, energy bend? Mm-hmm. A lot of people hate that, right? A lot of people who who don't hate it but find it so convenient that it's it's a it's the finale of the Avatar ending where the lion turtle comes out of nowhere. I interpreted that as like because I'm a very spiritual guy mm-hmm. as like actual supernatural elements, spiritual elements that can actually influence time itself to give you that kind of convenience where there is so much evil in the world that somehow in a spiritual supernatural type way, there comes an entity, a being, uh, a, an angel, a God, or whatever you want to believe in to give you that type of power to overcome the evil that is encapsulating the world. 
Again, this is me, <laughs> but I love it because that's what I interpreted it from the lion turtle was the fact that the lion turtle was like, I'm, I'm a spiritual being of like ancient time and I'm coming to this dimension to give you this power to overcome Fire Lord Ozai because he's too damn evil. <laughs> so my interpretation of Matthew McConaughey's character was that that being of the scarred man and him coming face to face with that, uh, you know, entity and, and, and having the power to overcome it. That's what I took out of it, too. Um, and that's that's what I love about the show is that there's so much to, to dive into. But one thing I do want to mention before we you know move on from it is the, is the, the filmmaking itself, man. We have to talk about that. The 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 the, the shots, the the camera movements, the acting, the that, one take, the uh, oneer. Yeah, let's talk about that oneer, man. That. It's incredible. Yeah. It really is. I rewatched it again because I have to. It's one of the best oners of all time. It's one of the best oners in TV of all time. Would you say that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Did you see that new one that has been picking up like a lot of attention? Which one? On Showtime. I don't know. Oh, I was going to say uh, Daredevil? Oh, da- no, I'm not. I, I love Daredevil, nah, bro. Man, Let's go. Here, Let's go. Daredevil nah, season man. three. That one was dope. Nah, man, you know what's another great oner uh, that? that I rewatched? Battle of the Bastards. Battle has Bastards. one of the best oners right, of all that's time. That's another TV. show I don't watch. Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah, I know. That oner in Game of Thrones. I haven't seen it. It's right. so good. I think this one might. I, well, no, I think this about, might be the best. Wait, 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 did you hear about that new one? No, that, no, on no, Jim no, Carrey, no. no, Jim Carrey has a new show yeah. that has a one take that literally is a camera spinning around in a circle in a living room. Uh-huh. And this shit is like now that shit is next level to me, man. Because yeah. what it is is literally like people like flipping walls. Like there's a behind the scenes footage of it yeah. on Twitter. So I haven't seen the actual show. I just have yeah. seen this clip. But it's just the camera rotating as the camera rotates. Like there's people literally behind like flipping walls, like changing entire set decorations. Nice. And then like as it keeps going. Changing lighting and then just and makeup actors are changing makeup, so it's literally just all one take spinning around. But it tells like like years worth of storytelling. Like yeah, it's crazy. That's interesting. Yeah, I, 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 the reason why I like this one is mainly because of the tracking aspect of it. Right, mm-hmm. it's the fact that the camera can go, it can move like a human can. I think mm-hmm. that's what makes it so eerie and so cool. Is the fact that this one is just like you're going inside houses, you're going outside houses, you're going over fences, you're going through stuff. And 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 you're you're capturing it all in one shot. It's just I don't know, man. I, I really do feel like this one might be one of the best of all time yeah, as no, far definitely. as TV, yeah. uh, best TV wonder of all time. Because there's a lot of great ones too, man. Yeah. Um, but it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible, and it feels like you're going through that journey. And that scene is just crazy too, because it has to deal with the choreography of it, the timing, the blocking of like having everyone right uh, no I'm sorry not right run at the right moment and mm. and shoot and have the guns and have the props and have the fights and have the stunts and mm. it's just incredible man it's mm. absolutely insane and it happens in episode 4 which kind of tells you going forward what you're about to see mm. um that's amazing Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey give lifetime type performances on this show man they really mm. do it's like mm. a, a one long movie performance what do you think of the performances in this in this show. I mean, we have Michelle Monaghan too. Yeah, Michelle Monaghan, yeah, also great, great in this show as well. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely the McConaughey show. You know, what I yeah. mean, like that's definitely what's supposed to be. But Woody Harrelson also brings like an extra layer of complexity to yeah. being just the cheater, abuse. You know, not abusive, but like mentally abusive husband. Um, How does he keep getting all those girls, man? Please explain that to me. (laughs) These aren't just girls. They're just like the hottest girls on the planet. And all of a sudden, they're like, ooh, Woody Harrelson. I'm like, what? What? (laughs) 
<laughs> Woody Harrelson? Got that Out of all the dudes? You got that seven twang. I bro. guess, but I, I don't know, man. I, I that's the one thing that kept taking me out of the show. Yeah. I like the most unrealistic thing in the show yeah. <laughs> is the fact that he hooks up with like supermodels. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, that that's obviously a part of it too. But I think it's that scene at the finale, man, when he when he sees his daughters come into the hospital after he what he just witnessed and he just breaks down and cries because he realizes that's his connection and that's his interpretation of what his life is, is his daughters. So when he comes face to face with them and then he realizes like what he just faced off against, he's like, oh my God, he just breaks down and cries because it's like, my God, you imagine like that happening to my family? That's what he carries throughout. That's what he carries as his motivation throughout the entire show, in my opinion. Um, any other things you want to say about True Detective? Nah, it's a really dope show, man. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Uh, Maniac is Kerry Fukunaga's most recent project. It just premiered on Netflix, I think, about three weeks ago. Maybe more, maybe a month ago. Uh, I uh, finished binging this show last what, weekend. What, are we going to talk about Beast of No Nation? Or? Oh, I'm so sorry. Beast of No Nation. Beast of No Nation. I'm so sorry, man. Thank you for bringing <laughs> me back. Hey. Uh, Beast of No Nation was, I think it's Netflix's first original uh, I might it, be wrong. I don't know if it's their first original. It's one movie, of their first it originals. It's definitely the first big campaign they put out uh, for 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 their film. I think it might movie. be their first, but I'm, I, I might be wrong. But Beast of Nation stars Idris Elba, and uh, I forget the kid's name. Uh, but this was the child soldier Africa movie that got quite a bit of attention for a short amount of time, in my opinion. Um, because it kind of disappeared after certain conversations, man. It got no nominations whatsoever. Uh, well, not at the Oscars. father of the movie. Huh? I mean, not the father of the movie, the father of the Academy for Absolutely. I agree. It. I, I agree. This this had a lot of political, movie political stuff surrounding it as far as Netflix, as far as this was Oscar So White. It came out that, that same year yeah, as Oscar So White been, campaign. Uh, it could have could have been it should have it should have been nominated over. I have one hundred percent agree. Abraham Atta is his name, who plays a goo. Um, what do you think of this movie, man? Because it's received some criticism as being a little bit too harsh, a little bit too violent, a little bit too uh, people don't like the reality of the situation. Hey man, you didn't there. like Detroit because it was too much. Um, no, nah, I mean, but that's different though. I think this movie mm. actually um <laughs> well, I think Detroit doesn't add context and I think this movie okay. does. Um, it doesn't necessarily portray context either, but it does portray like the lifestyle. It does portray more of like a a, a lifestyle pre, you know, being a, a child soldier, right? Mm. Like you see, you see the community that this little kid grows up in. You see the family that he's stripped away from. You see, uh, and and in many ways, is you know, a lot of times with these uh, you know child these children and in, in, in these uh, war torn countries. Uh, they don't have any say in, in the matter of who of, of what kind of job if, if they'll be alive first off if they're if they're alive if they're gone if they if they're if they have to lose their family you know it, it's it's complete like it's, it's completely like slavery like all over again right but uh, only to the extent that now you're putting like children at risk of, of fighting the wars and of course they fight these wars because they're small they get into places and and you know there's a lot more sympathy for children so a lot more people are a little more hesitant to fight against you know children rush children and stuff like that but uh, all, uh, all these are all like big themes that are impacting a lot of these african nations uh you know uh, i don't want to you know i don't want to like you know say like the wrong names of countries and stuff like that but the, there there are very specific regions that are highly populated with uh you know these these uh these 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 like w- armies of children 
um, that is just like truly devastating. But it's all over trade and lack of trade and lack of demand and, and how these black markets kind of arise and 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 cement like you know it's 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 it's, it's not similar but it's the same idea as like gangs right and and you know we talked about sem uh how that how that movie is all about like you know gangs taking over this this is like the war uh and and uh this is like war and trade taking over uh and, and some of these nations, so it's just it's just really crazy. And the fact that they target children, right? Because they know that children are more susceptible to manipulation. And the fact that you can brainwash children a lot easier, yeah. and you can get them to do stuff that other people might question you for, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I'm I'm doing this because I'm an authority figure and I'm older than you and I know more than you and yeah. I give you food. Like there's like no you, choice. There's no choice of what's right or wrong. You don't know. You yeah, don't know that. there's that no way. choice. But there's also like. Uh, the paternal kind of atmosphere that is provided with these African armies is the fact that the commandant Idris Elba's character can tell you, Hey, I give you your food, man. Why are you complaining about this? I didn't, I just give you food like that kind of manipulation where it's like, you're telling these kids, it's like, uh, like be loyal, like a dog where I provide food. I give you a place to, to sleep. So now you have to go kill that person for me. Yeah. Like I'm your sole provider. I'm, I'm basically your God. It's, you know, that's essentially what, what the commandant represents in this movie is the fact that they're manipulating the minds of children to do certain things and experience certain things and be scarred mentally in a certain way to where they're much more easily moved and easily manipulated and they can almost be like a puppeteer working with these kids it's creepy it's really eerie disturbing stuff that this movie shows for sure and it shows the reality of like what you said a lot of african nations actually deal with this type of stuff that's what's so disturbing about it what do you think about um that's what generations of of apartheid and segregation would do to a lot of uh black countries too absolutely what do you think of the the um cinematography in this movie uh, it's dope. I mean, this is one that Kerry uh, shot himself, right? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me check. But I think he did. Yeah, he shot this movie himself, and uh, used the. I think the cinematography is gorgeous. I love the use of the infrared uh, footage that that that's, that pops up occasionally throughout this throughout the story. He shot it uh, himself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that's what's great about Kerry. Let's mention that a little bit too. Is the fact that he can be a cam op. He can be uh, his own cinematographer. It's the fact that Kerry himself is. Uh, not just a visionary when it comes to storytelling, but with actual like shots and looks and visions and feel and texture and color. Yeah, no, nah, he's all about that cinema, mm-hmm. baby. And, and I think that's, uh, and you see that definitely throughout the production design of this movie. That this movie has a very luscious kind of feel, even though it's a Netflix movie. Netflix put a good amount of money behind this, and you could tell um, because it doesn't, you know, they don't cheapen out on the on the the nature of of of. of you know these interactions that these, uh, you know, war these children of war have to have to deal with, right? You see the tanks, you see the explosions, the the, the gunfire, all of this uh, really crazy stuff crawling through the jungle, all this stuff that, uh, and again, it, you know, because of because of Carrie being such a very uh, subjective director, he really puts you in the, in the driver's seat. Uh, of, a, of a lot of these characters and, and you really feel like you're immersed particularly with the kid I mean the kid you're 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 basically him throughout the entire movie uh, so all of these like crazy you know war like you know type you know type of you know Vietnam style like going into you know these like 
small villages and, and rummaging through them is just like it just feels very real and authentic and uh, very nasty and gritty. That's that's um, yeah. I mean, that's what Carrie likes to do. He likes to make you feel like, wait a minute, is this a movie or are they actually going like in battle and making you feel like all these people are real? like African soldiers and similar to seeing nobody, right? Where you feel like, oh, these guys, are, are they actually gang members? Like you feel that. You feel like you're questioning whether you're watching a movie or not because it's so real to the point that you feel like you're actually watching not actors, but real life people do this type of stuff. And that's what makes it even more disturbing, right? Because you're watching this movie and it, and it makes you feel like this is real. Like this is legit real. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. This was, This is what kind of gave Kerry Fukunaga that, you know, style of, of telling you these types of stories. And we talked about it before with Sin Nombre is the fact of taking these real situations and making them into narrative stories. What do you think of uh, of the the acting in this movie? Uh, um, specifically Idris Elba first. Uh, he's good. I mean, he's great. Um, his accent's off. but I was going to say, do you think it's Oscar-worthy? Um, yeah, definitely Oscar-worthy. Okay. Uh, it would be Oscar-winning if his, if his accent... His accent was right, but um, is it Nigeria? That, is it is it Nigeria? Um, it just isn't right, man. I mean, because I was watching it. I think it is Nigerian, but I was watching it. Uh, I think with a Nigerian. I think I think this. You know, and he was like, and he was like, and he just and he just broke it all down for me. He was like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Oh, so you watch it with an African guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. The way he's saying this is wrong. The way he's saying this. I you mean, know, you know what's funny? Great. Yeah. I saw this with uh, I, afterwards. I talked about it with a with a British homie. Yeah. This black British homie of mm-hmm. mine, who's a friend of a of a friend. Yeah. Uh, he told me the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no, bro. This, yeah. ain't, this ain't no Nigerian accent, bro. Yeah. You can tell he's from London, mate. And I'm like, I'm like oh, I didn't know. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, man, his accent's all off, mate. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Nah, he should have. It should have been like. Uh, <laughs> he sounds like a African guy who moved to 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 Brit- to England. Yeah. Like what's <laughs> that's what, his accent. What's uh, what's the character's name in the the main the main the locust character? Uh, Agu. Agu is yeah. like like in the movie he'd be like, come here, Agu. Like and, yeah. and, and a real Nigerian be like, come here, Nagu. Like yeah. you know something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Be a little base here. You know, and be a little. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, I feel like he's he's like out. a Nigerian homie living in in London for uh, a few years. Also, I think that's his accent. It jumps in and out between like. African and like British African. Nah, it's not even doesn't jump back and forth. No, I, I think it's it British African the entire time. <laughs> but uh, no, nah, that's you know that's funny. I, I think I think, uh, but but beyond beyond the accent, the rest of the performance is spectacular. And I think he has a lot of dimension. It, it, if you have to trade a bad accent for a great performance, you know, take the great performance over the sure. bad accent uh, because he definitely adds the layers of. Of complexity of, of this character because you kind of sympathize with him for a little bit until like he starts like you know doing more messed up doing stuff. More meth- I mean, yeah, and you start touching the kid. Yeah, like, that's oh, when man, you're. Yeah, yeah, that's like, when you oh, deserve oh, to man. get killed. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the fact that he pieces out at the end, it's like all right, good. Yeah, that's nice. What do you think of uh, Abraham Atta as Agu? Uh, great performance as well. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely. Uh, again, that's. I think this is his first role it like, was. ever. Uh, He's another guy who was street casted. Mm-hmm. I think Kerry Fukunaga said he he met him like playing soccer. Yeah, like he was playing soccer and he just was casting him. And I think he said that he thought that he was like some sort of scout. Yeah, uh, Kerry. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was like Kerry was like a soccer scout and he uh-huh. was like super excited because apparently he was really good. Yeah, yeah. At playing soccer. Yeah. That's crazy, right? That you can kind of get these kids and basically make them actors. Yeah, I and mean, that's he, might, what, he might have been escaping a situation you yeah. know, that might put him there. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the famous Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, Sin Nombre did that, too. Carrie did that. And then Beast of No Nation, too, did yeah. that situation of getting these actors. 
do you feel like that's a good thing or do you feel like that's a bad thing? Um, no, it's good. I think any director who casts as many non-actors as possible, I think that's part of what makes uh, great filmmaking is the authenticity of it. And I know Gus Van Sant is a director who often puts a mixture of professional actors and non-professional actors in his movies to kind of give it a little extra layer of having authenticity. I think that's a, the approach that a lot of directors should, should take. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this movie de deals with a lot of tragedy. It deals with a lot of emotions, obviously the loss of a family and then getting your new family, I guess, your replacement family. Um, what do you think it has to say as far as in a political atmosphere? Um, I don't know. I don't know a lot of politics that like happens mm -hmm. in, in Africa. I can't really speak to that much, mm -hmm. as much as I can like in America. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I think if anything, you're saying stop the child wars, <laughs> sure. stop the child warfare. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that's what simple. Yeah. I don't know what side of the political spectrum that falls in and within those countries. Uh, sure. Uh, within the continent of Africa, but like, uh, you know, that's the problem, man. Everything can be so much uh, to feel such tragedy between like not trusting your government, and you mm -hmm. feel like your government is hurting your own people, but at the same time having like these rogue militaries kind of rise up and do situations that feel like they're for the people but at the same time do so much harm as well yeah. right mm -hmm. there's always two sides of facing off against two evils mm -hmm. um and they're both doing atrocities right and, right. and i don't know i i just feel like that's always a difficult thing that um happens in so many countries south american countries too mm -hmm. um and, and and dealing with i mean obviously i'm from colombia so i've dealt with la guerrilla uh, I don't know if you know what that is. I'm not sure. um, it's the it's the 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 people who are separating away from the government and who kidnapped a lot of people in the past in Colombia. It's been a huge, huge, huge thing that's happened for years and years and years and years. Um, and it's that mentality of like putting up with these people who who feel like betrayed by their country and also doing atrocities or committing atrocities or committing things that people might not agree with. Have you seen Narcos? They talk about it a lot in Narcos. Yeah, I've seen Narcos. No. Um, yeah, Narcos talks about it a lot too, but but it's it's a difficult situation, I guess, is what I can put it at, putting it lightly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, any last word on Beast of No Nation before we move on to the show you were just watching before you came here? Yeah, yeah, nah. Uh, yeah. So Maniac just came out on Netflix about a couple weeks ago, if not a month ago, like I said before. Stars Emma Stone and a very skinny Jonah Hill. <laughs> <laughs> like, it took me out of the show. Hey, I'm like, bro, you look like you haven't eaten. Hey, like, in forever, bro. Hey, man, he's, he's looking good, man. Hey, hey, is he, uh, he looking good or is he looking like, bro, you gotta you gotta, you gotta gotta eat something, man. Hey, man, he's looking depressed, which his yeah, character is. So that's, I guess, that's, yeah. That's, how it's that's to a be. good way to get in a, get in a role. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my character's supposed to be depressed. Oh, I just don't eat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he shifted weight for the uh, for uh, for Twenty One Jump Street before in the past, right? Like, did he? Yeah, he lost a bunch of weight for that one, and then oh yeah, but not this much, bro. Yeah, I mean, he gained, I feel like he this is the skinniest for, Jonah Hill I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, he's. I mean, he. I, I saw an interview with him talking. Uh, uh, I guess it was on Jimmy Fallon or whatever. And About <laughs> mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, something like that, and then. Uh, or I don't know if it was for that one in particular, but it might have been a while ago. I'm not 100 percent sure. But he was like, he was like, yeah, I was just talking to uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's like, man, and he was like, man, I gotta lose some weight, and and he was like, Leo, how do I do it? He's like, just shut the fuck up and exercise. <laughs> so I think that's I think that's the approach that Johnny Hill. So tell him, man, if he if he feels good, man, being yeah, that skinny, you know, but, yeah. Um, hey, that's dope though that he uh, that he kind of nails the 
uh, depressed, like fucking. I hate my life because I, yeah. I feel this way. But yeah, uh, other than that, not, I, 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 I think the show. I think the show is like honestly one of the best Netflix really? products. That there they, we they go. Out there, man. Like, we agree, or be three. Hey, man. We agree. So we're finally on the same page. Finally, about, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I really like this show. I mean, the first four episodes, I binged it, and I was like, man, this is real good. Yeah. Uh, it's like the, Legion, but like. Yeah, and then I kept getting into it, and I was like, man. You know what this is, man? This show really holds a lot with Emma Stone and Jonah Hill. They mm. carry this show. They really do. Obviously, the writing, the directing is all great. Um, but if their interpretations of these characters and in their, you know, in whatever it's called, the realities that they're experiencing mm-hmm. with the pills that they're taking, if they weren't convincing or if they weren't at least entertaining, then I don't know if this show would work. But the fact that it's Emma Stone, an actress who I think is dope, I think she's I mean, I I don't know if I mentioned to you last time how Birdman, La La Land, like she kills it, man. She kills it in everything she does. And I think she, yeah, Easy A. She kills it in this role, man. I don't know what you who you think is the standout, but I think it's Emma Stone by a little bit, just because I feel like she kills it in her performances. Um, And I I really enjoy this show, man. I really enjoy the concept of the show of of experiencing these types of this alternate universe type of thing where I can easily digest it because I'm a fan of comic books. So I'm used to having like alternate universe type stuff. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I really do enjoy this show, man. What do you think it is about this show that that is making audiences enjoy it so much? Um, well, I, I think it's just different. You know, I think mm. people want different. Um, now, in reality, is it really that different? I mean, honestly, not. If you, That's if you, true. If you watch Legion, you get a lot of the same ground covered. If you watch Leftovers... You get a lot of similar ground being covered. Um, but for Netflix, this is their first, like, real experimental venture. Mm. Um, and I'm sure they've done other, like, experimental shows in the past. I just haven't watched them. Um, I thought Altered Carbon was going to be that, too, but apparently it wasn't the way you described it Did you it see Altered Carbon? No, I didn't know. Oh, come on, man. You uh, got to watch it. Well, I thought, I thought, you know, I thought it was more of an experimental thing, but the way you describe it is more of an action. Like, it's more of, of an show. action. Yeah, so I— It's I, like a star—I told you, it's like a star's— uh, version of Blade Runner. Yeah, no. Nah, if nah. Stars did Blade Runner. Yeah. Yeah. I'm chilling on that. But it's I'd, dope, bro. Or I'd, if like Cinemax did Blade Runner. <laughs> Cinemax, but not yeah. HBO. It's not nah, HBO. Nah, nah. It's like Blade. Stars. Like <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, okay, I, I was gonna say if you yeah. see Spartacus, you know what I mean. Yeah, Have you yeah. seen Spartacus? I haven't seen Spartacus. No. Oh bro. I, I, it's great. I've definitely... Because it, it's that it's that weird balance of like over the top super over the top but it still kind of works and it still kind of meets in the middle of like taking serious subject matter but having super over the top elements that's altered carbon yeah yeah but uh nah maniac is is definitely uh a little more experimental Mm. track that i i really enjoy in in tv you know um like i said it's very reminiscent of, of legion and the fact that it takes place in this mental facility um and it's about these mental illness patients who have to jump from Reality, reality, and what's real and what's not Do real. Do you remember the name of the pills? Um, ABC, they're ABC pills. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, but exact. it was like confrontation. The oh, confrontation the last is the last one. Confrontational one, yeah. Uh, it's acceptance, something, confrontation. Basically, I love how they introduced that, and I think it's episode two or three, where they're like, you will experience the worst moment of your life. And you're like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> whoa, wait, wait a minute. You didn't tell me this before, man. <laughs> uh, I love that. It's like the fact that it's like, what am I taking? Oh, you're putting in the worst experience of you. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to experience that. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually they do, and they experience that. And then they experience different realities with the B pill mm-hmm. um, and the C pill, I think. 
Um, the CPO, I don't know fully what the CPO does. I, I remember it's called confrontation, but yeah, it's I, confrontation. It's but confronting your your worst moments and yourself. I think it's what it was. Yeah, um, um, and your own psyche. But yeah, because they give you your psyche valve. Uh, halfway through the show, I think it's episode six or seven. Yeah, when seven, they yeah. say, "Oh, you're a schizophrenic, bipolar, blah blah blah," and you're like, "Well, <laughs> I yeah. am," yeah. and then they have you do the confrontation. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't fully know where the show like ends, so I don't like want to, you know, yeah. fully say like this Can is I, what the show means. Sure, um, uh, I do, but I won't. I'll give you a chance to right to right. finish your thirty minutes left in the show. <laughs> right, right, right. They're uh, good. They're good size episodes too. We got, we got. Yeah, follow that strategy more, people. Let's get the yeah. thirty minute drama back. Yeah, yeah. Thirty minute dramas. Uh, um, but I, I definitely think that what they were aiming to achieve is like you know you're confronted with. The problems that you know you think you have, or the mm. problems that society will say you have, um, but then within the C pill, within the confrontational side, you uh, confront you confront the personal issues, right? You confront mm. what's inside of you that you're battling. Yeah, uh, and and uh, uh, and from what they're headed was really dope. I mean, I love the first part of episode nine where there were uh, where it was like Jonah Hill was like in a gangster movie and. Uh, and uh, Emma Stone was like in Game of Thrones or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm not really big on fantasy stuff in general. Oh, I love it. Uh, but so that was, I'm like her character. Like, I don't know, like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but I did love when those two came to a head in that like really dope uh, hotel. Did you see the, I'm a hawk? Yeah, yeah. What's going on? Oh yeah. my God, this is really hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm coming. Can you see me? See, that was, see, I was, see, for me, that was like, <laughs> finally, I get to hear some joy in Jonah Hill's voice in this show. Like, that killed oh me. my God. It made me laugh. So so hard yeah. that that was a funny moment for me i forget there was another funny moment that i actually enjoyed oh you know who i think is amazing in the show and he's a revelation my revelation i mean i've never seen the guy before mm. and he's just killing it his yeah. the guy who plays his brother oh a jed i i forget his name but the guy you know the mustache guy who comes out in all his realities uh yeah, Jonah yeah. Hill's brother. Yeah, Jack. he's great, dude. He's mm. great. He's really freaking Hogan good. Douchebag guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great as a douchebag, and when he starts singing, yeah, uh, oh, every breath you yeah, take, I yeah. was like, oh, yeah. yes, this guy's I, I, amazing. Nah, I'd be like Jonah Hill. I walk out of that too. He was a <laughs> you kill yourself after yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, isn't isn't that guy in the? Uh, isn't that guy also in? He's in one of the. He's even in a Big Short. Or oh, one of the one Adam those, McKay movies. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't recognize him. Yeah, but uh, he's he's really good, and I think you know I also want to give a, a big shout out to Justin Theroux in this show, mm. man. Justin Theroux, Justin Theroux came through playing a weird, quirky, uh, yeah. mad scientist type guy. Yeah, I also uh, love the idea of the computer having to go through therapy as well. I, I love uh, the idea of of his in, his interpretation of reality and the world and Jonah Hill's, Emma Stone's, everyone's character. Comes from comes from your own personal life. Yeah. How he parents too. Yeah. Yeah. That that to me was the biggest thing because I felt the same way because I have a huge connection to my parents, good or bad. Right. It's Mm. that you take some bad stuff and you're like, oh my god, it's my mom being this way, and he's this guy's like 36 years old or something, Mm. and he still has that like, oh, it's my nagging mom and she's gonna ruin my life, and it's still that situation of how I'm a brilliant scientist, but I still have to deal with the personal relationship with my mother. Like that to me was so cool, and the fact that he replicated the the machine as his mother, the the computer as yeah, his yeah. mother. I was well, like, that's that's well, real. Well, that's that's the, real life. Well, that's the whole thing. Well, that's the whole thing of people, you know, who want to escape the characteristics of their parents, actually end up exactly replicating. Yeah, um, and creating and, a, a, a reality that their parents created. Yeah. Now, granted, he didn't he didn't put input his mother into that's the true. computer. That's it was true. The uh, other. 
Uh, uh, I was gonna say, bro, who who did I crush on so hard in this show? I knew it. Bro? I knew it. I knew it. Who, who said it in the comments? Was that Tony Wagner? Tony Wagner? No, no. Tony Wagner. You guessed another Ace Crush. Ace Crush number two. I can't lie, bro. As soon as she came on screen, she had the goofy glasses. She was smoking the cigarette. She got a lap coat on. She got them bangs. I was like, she was like half Japanese, half British. I'm like, who this? <laughs> it was distracting, man. Uh, Dr. Fujita. Uh, who's the young um, lady who plays her? Uh, her name is Sonoya, Sonoya Mizuni. Mizuni? Uh, nice. Sonoya Mizuni. Half British, half Japanese. Just that I was like, bro, this is like perfect for me, bro. <laughs> I was falling in love, man. <laughs> it was so um, distracting, man. Every time she was saying something, I was like, damn, girl. <laughs> what you doing later tonight, girl? Uh, like I'm me talking back to the screen. <laughs> hey, man. She's from uh she's from freaking Ex Machina. And uh oh, she's, yeah, she's the dancing the girl. Dancing girl. Ah. From Ex Machina. Um yeah, she's uh, she's an awesome Crazy Rich Asians. She plays the British girl in Crazy Rich Asians. I don't know if you remember her. Oh, really? Uh -huh. Damn. Oh, she damn. She 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 um, really uh, twenty eighteen is the year, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, she's great, man. I love it. I love I love her. Yeah, no, she was great. No, I love. No, I'm kidding. And uh, I thought the the other doctor before uh, Justin Thoreau came in was also. Oh hilarious. yeah, he's great too. Yeah. And also shout out to the homie from. Uh, oh my God, I'm gonna get his name wrong. And I feel bad, but he has a small bit role in this show. It's the homie who plays the genie in Aladdin, the Broadway musical. Uh, um, I've seen that. One. I, I I don't know. I just thought his name is James Monroe Eagleheart. Mm -hmm. Carl. He played uh he played the freaking uh, one of the orderlies in the ah, show. Ah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to him, man. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, man. See, that's funny, man. This, see, I think. The, yeah, he's, I, he comes from Broadway. He's got like a huge Broadway background. I think this show has a really good blend of humor and science fiction and um, but personal drama, too. I think it yeah. has a really good sense of personal drama. Um, and while also being a, a hint to fantasy as well, because mm. I feel like, like you said, it's like it's 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 like an alternative future to a certain extent, right? Yeah. Like there's nobody in the show who's using cell phones. You know, everybody's using like landlines, these old computers, this like raggedy technology with like this jank like radiation. But like, and but meanwhile, like there's clearly a much more advanced universe like around them. Um, I also think the I think is I think uh, that the aesthetic choices in having the pills actually be different letters A, B, and C. You know, obviously for what they represent, but sure. uh, just the just the actual. Um, context into the into the world like this you know it just clearly spells out you know out. what it was man and I, i'm gonna i say this all the time but it's so true it was it was anime yeah it's totally it's super anime yeah, i agree yeah it, it takes it's, a lot from it, that. it takes yeah. the japanese and, it, and it's very it's like ogja like ogja took a lot from it, that too and I think yeah it's very tonically consistent with ogja. It, it's it's very anime type tone it's very anime type world building where anime people always think of anime and they think like attack on titan or or dragon ball z like there is a lot of anime stories that are like this mm -hmm. where it's just about people's psychosis mm -hmm. and it's about like a different reality and people are diving into their own psychosis like stuff like this this type of stuff is what anime dives into it builds a reality it establishes a world establishes a tone that is flowing in and out of comedy there's comedic moments and there's serious moments mm -hmm. um and this movie is very, this show, I'm sorry, is very upfront about its Jap Japanese influences, right? It's mm -hmm. very uh, otaku in some sense. It's got a lot of elements of like, like when they're watching the short video and you see Justin throw, hello guys, welcome to this experiment. We're going to, that's so, that's super anime. Like mm -hmm. that's the most anime type stuff. And the fact that half the show is speaking in Japanese too, like it, it has a lot of influence of anime for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And I think, 
I, I love that. I love it too. That, I love I love when show, when movies, particularly two Netflix properties of anything like Maniac with this one. I think Okja from last year also took a lot of the anime qualities and and really really found a good use for them. Yeah. Um, and I just I, I love that it has that little extra layer of expressiveness, uh, some more you know variations of tone um, that I think are really funny. I think you know this movie uh, has a consistent base baseline, but also. Uh, it can get wacky from time to time, yeah. which I really appreciate. I also think his version of like the 1980s is <laughs> pretty funny too. With uh, with with, with the, the lemur stuff, yeah, with the lemur and all that, yeah, all that stuff. Uh, and it's the same guy. <laughs> same guy. The, the lemur guy was the guy from True Detective who plays the evil psycho in True Detective. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know the that. Big dude. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, Damn, I did not know that. Interesting. Yeah, I thought the bulletproof oh. fur coast was funny. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Yeah, that was the, the thing that made me laugh. Was that episode of when he was getting shot and he was just like, <laughs> <laughs> and then he turns around and he's getting shot from behind, <laughs> and his brother's like, no, yeah. no, and he's still getting shot. Yeah, and he's finally getting the dance moves done because <laughs> he was yeah. trying to teach him dance moves yeah. that whole episode. Yeah, I don't know. That, that, that shit's that shit funny. I also love that's the dark ad, comedy. But the, it's the, funny. the ad buddy is is hilarious to me too. Which whenever, one? The ad buddy. Whenever they like need an advertisement, like read to them. Oh yeah, have yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> have somebody sit next to them and read the ads. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So it's some really great science fiction uh, elements too. I also think it speaks to a larger narrative of technology and, and mental. Uh, health too right yeah um, so, ha- socializing with people yeah 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 that's a huge part of the show um yeah and and uh but you know it you know for me i the biggest the biggest takeaway for me at least like the it kind of blew my mind the most uh was the imprint of the mothers uh played by sally field mm. her 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 brain into the computer but how her brain is almost like a mirror of herself or at least her you know they they account for like early theoretical work how that is a reflection of herself, but she is unable to break her own code, right? And mm. she is unable to figure out and resolve, at least I don't know where episode 10 goes, but at least up until episode nine, she can't even, you know, she's a therapist, uh, she's a professional, she's like this world celebrity therapist, but she can't even crack her own code. She can't even crack her own brain and figure out what she's internalizing because the issues that the computer holds is the issues that uh, she's going to hold and how giving a computer artificial intelligence giving a computer personality a mind and emotions is going to make it as complicated as a human being mm. but you know once you know artificial you know but the whole idea of intelligence is curiosity right and once you start having a computer asking questions and once you have a computer begin to get curious about the nature of reality and the things that humans have to deal with uh, there's much more access to information that uh, that is cynical, right? Mm. And cynical by nature. You know, technology is cynical by nature, just in the fact that it's distracting us. It's, 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 it's not intended for us to be full, to be solely consumed. But all that being said, I think that's why uh, it's so effective in, 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 in this show that the mother is literally a therapist who has to sit down with herself and just can't do it, who just can't and won't acknowledge her faults. And the Justin Theroux character, uh, you know, creates this whole 
introduction into technology to undermine his mother's profession, right? Mm -hmm. He wants to fix he wants to fix the mind through technology, through science. Her idea is more of the the therapeutic talk it out. Yeah, the 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 the, the what they would cons consider the soft sciences, right? The pseudosciences, the soft sciences, how they would uh, you know, but he wants to confront it from from a different perspective and you know, they have to meet somewhere in the middle for that. Mm, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And it's also like the, the relationship he has with his mother, I think is like a huge thing, a huge yeah. part of the show that yeah. I feel like is very realistic. Kind of kind of hints at some, uh, some incestual stuff though. Oh, whoa. I didn't catch that. RB3. Whoa. I mean, I just thought like, I'm too busy looking at Dr. Fujita. But she, but there's some, there's some lines in there where he was like, uh, you hug me some, too tight sometimes. You slept in my bed oh, too many nights. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, That's true, yeah. yeah I thought it was but I didn't take that as, like, you know, anything further than that. Yeah, I, I, I think there's I'm something. too busy looking at Dr. Fuji. <laughs> That's my excuse for everything. I didn't catch that. Oh, I wonder why. Yeah. Um, I think there was another moment, like, that came before that, too. I was like, that's a little weird. Oh, uh, it's when they kissed. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So I definitely think there's some. Also, you see the dude she was dating, man? Yeah. Damn, that dude was, like, yeah. half, half her age, man. Yeah, I know. That dude was, like, a Latino like, <laughs> soap opera star. <laughs> that's what soap opera stars look in Mexico. Yeah. Hey, that's that's why he was so traumatized. That's you know his trauma maybe from his mother is maybe why he was so traumatized. You know, going in, you know, where he had to take a break from his experiment. I mean, when we meet him. He's literally in yeah. like a virtual reality like yeah. sex toy thing. His 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 sexual interpretation is is yeah. very skewed. Yeah, he might have a, he might have a, a issues. Sex, yeah, he might have issues, man. Yeah, man, mental issues. Yeah, that that that's life. People yeah. people actually deal with weird stuff like that. Yeah, so man. I think that's that's a good thing that the show kind of deals with uh last thing i want to say uh the the girl who plays her sister julia garner mm, um mm -hmm. is from uh ozark have you seen ozark i've seen the first episode of season one yes dude ozark is so freaking dope man. okay so i get dope. it i'll watch it season watch two it. was so good man I'll and she is, is she's in, she's one of the main characters in season two she's amazing in that show man she's so freaking good obviously she didn't do much in this show but uh i didn't i'm not gonna lie i didn't like the first episode of ozark man I yeah. thought it was just too much like Breaking Bad. Like it is very much Breaking Bad, but it, 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 it get is it, it get, gets better. It gets better. Yeah, and right. season two is so good, okay. so freaking good. Um, but yeah, man, my thing is mainly Jonah Hill and Emma Stone, yeah. and the fact that the different characters they play, the fun that they have. Yeah. I think um, I think they have a lot more fun in this show than like people are giving them credit for. Oh, I, I know so a lot much of fun. people. A lot of people are clowning Jonah Hill like on Twitter, you know, with those memes of like sad Jonah Hill now, you know. Like, oh, because he because he's so skinny now. Or? Yeah, well, he just looks so sad like yeah. all all the time in the show. I, I I think that's I think it shows range, but I also think he does have some like really fun. Well, moments. I mean, I think it's episode nine, right? When yeah. when you when he's inside the CIA bunker. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like the rush, you know, yeah, the foreign guy. Like, like, I've taken extreme caution to yeah. take. Like he's having pure fun in that character. Yeah, I think the '80s thing he had a lot of fun too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's they're having a blast. I mean, what you think of the Warner? Uh, what for the when the action scene? The, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was pretty dope. Yeah, that was pretty dope. I was like, oh shit, it's a water. Yeah, he's yeah. doing it again with the elevator. Uh, yeah, staying open. Yeah, I, I thought they were gonna take the elevator all the way up and and then get out and then keep the one take going, but they yeah. cut after that. Um, I also uh, really uh, admired the color design in this mm. show, right? Because you know, a lot of times we don't really like acknowledge how. The way the color kind oh, of influences dude. the color is so important. Yeah, and especially for a show like this, is yeah. very vibrant and lively. Neon. neon, but also very rainbow esque influence Ooh, yeah. too. Yeah, 
Um, I mean, the side of the building has a giant rainbow on the side yeah. of it. But even when they're inside of the mind uh, filter thing, the, the, the lights change color as, as according to the emotion that the computer is feeling. Mm. Um, also, the way the characters are dressed, all of it, all of it is very the particular. The aesthetic, aesthetic, the production design is amazing. Yeah. The fact, the white coats that everyone's wearing, mm. the the vibe that they have going on with the other Japanese people who are working for them. It's just so freaking cool, man. It's yeah. really freaking cool. Yeah. Definitely one of the top Netflix shows. Definitely one of my favorite shows of the year, for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. That's our all. Those are our thoughts on Maniac. Those are our thoughts on Kerry Fukunaga. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed. Hopefully, you guys don't think we're maniacs. Yeah. <laughs> especially me. Especially yeah. after my whole True Detective rant. Nah, not nah, yeah. I agree. I'm man. gonna lose some followers, bro. Nah, nah, I agree, man. Nah, I agree. There's there's there's, there's triple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed that episode. Let us know what is your favorite Fukunaga project. What is your favorite? part of his movies his shows favorite episode of maniac let us know in the comments down below we're going to be reading them next week and we'll be waiting for you next week here on the meaning of podcast and for the meaning of podcast imas and we are peacing out peace out guys